Welcome to This Week in Missouri Politics from our studios in Warrensburg on the campus of the University of Central Missouri. This Week in Missouri Politics, busy week. Got to get right into Opinion Maker panel for the whole time. The White Knight of the Missouri Republican Party, Mike Hafner. Welcome back to the show, sir. Great to be here. And Carrie Engel, legislator from the Kansas City area. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be Brad here. Pollitt, the man that represents the State Fair. Good to have you back, sir. Thanks for having me. And for the first time on the show, we're going to call you Representative Michael Hafter. Uh, thank you so much, Josh, from Cass County. Thank you for making the trip over. Thank you, Scott. Let's start off with the budget, something you've been neck deep in this year. Give me the rundown of your take on the House budget. So, Scott, I appreciate that. And I want to start out by going through a historical perspective. The three representatives here started our time in the House of Representatives in 2019. We ran a budget of $29.6 billion. That budget that we just pushed through to the Senate was $46.5 billion, a massive increase. Now, there is a significant amount of that that was federal money. I get that. But that's a massive increase, and I'm very concerned about that, how we handle that in the future. But let me just break it down into three significant points. Number one, we fully funded the foundation formula. Now, I'm sure that there'll be some comments here about transportation. I know that's coming. But we fully founded the uh, education formula. The other part of that is we took a look very hard at the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. 287 million. And what's key to us, those that are in the rural communities, 100 million of that is set up for the rural communities. That's extremely important. And any other point I want to bring out, 3 billion with a B, 3 billion for Medicaid expansion. So if you take a look at what we're spending, not only for Medicaid, but also for education, we're not sure the exact numbers because of the federal dollars, but we're looking at somewhere between 74, maybe as high as 76% of the budget wow. is being allocated and appropriated to those two areas. Representative Engel, a long, since you've been coming on this show, you've talked about Medicaid expansion, be a good thing for, for the state. Now you got it, right? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And it's, um, you know, it took some court battles. It, it took the public <laughs> weighing in, um, the voters weighing in, and then some continued court battles with, with my friends over here um, to ensure that the people's votes are counted and that we have Medicaid expansion across the state, particularly in more rural communities that have been suffering under the weight of um, the opioid epidemic, have, have lacked um, funding and treatment for mental health. Um, Did you vote for these budget bills? Did I? Yep. I? You know what? I think I did. I think I did vote for a few of them. Now, they mentioned the Senate budget. Well, yes. The big conference will be, that'll be the big powwow next week. What do you see in the Senate budget? Um, there's a lot that we like in the Senate budget on my side of the aisle. Um, we really, Representative Hefner uh, brought up the transportation spending. While we are spending a really, really large amount of money, an unprecedented amount of money, uh, we still we're not able to, as the House, fully fund school transportation. So we're seeing four-day school weeks in rural communities across the state. As a kid state. that rode the old yellow dog one way down to Neelyville from Strangtown, Missouri, that, that bus ride, making that as nice as you can makes a big difference in a lot of kids' day. It absolutely does. Um, and one of, the, one of the concerns that we've, we've been talking about for most of session is, you know, a, a, there's a lot of concern that I have, both as a parent and as a social worker, when you're talking about situations where you have to have a four-day school week because they either don't have the transportation funding, they don't have the staff, they don't have the teacher pay. Um, they're not able, they're having to choose between four-day school weeks and being able to pay their bills. Mm -hmm. And that's, 
that's really unacceptable in a lot of areas of Missouri. We're talking about wanting to get people back to work, back in jobs. Um, it's really hard to do when you have a kid at home for one day a week. You, you know what these things are like sitting in the room. I mean, if you're living in Chesterfield or Columbia, at the end of a cul-de-sac, and you got to drive around corner squats, one thing. You ride the old yellow dog down that gravel road at County Road 454 to Neelyville, uh, that's a different life. Yeah, when you make a decision to, to be in a rural community, rural school, yep. then you're, out, you're actually saying, you know, I'm willing for my child to ride a bus for an hour to an hour and a half to get to school. I want to go back to a little bit more historical data. In, in 1982, the state of Missouri had a $4 billion budget. And adjusted for inflation, our budget should be somewhere in the middle to upper 20s now. Uh -huh. And if you take away the federal bloat in this budget, we're still in the middle 30s. And I think that should be a concern for every Missourian. With that being said, you know, the difference between the House and, and, and the Senate budget, I haven't looked at the Senate budget too much, but it's important to me that we leave some bottom line money in case this economy explodes and three years from now folks come back to us and say, hey, we're broke, we need some money, and if we don't have some money left over, how are we going to meet those needs at that time? And I'm not, a, I think it's great we're spending money on a, a mental health. You know, mental health is a huge part of this, of this state and of this country. And, and, you know, I think a couple years ago we said 8% of our budget was going toward mental health. That's probably still not enough. But at the same time, I, I don't have any issue spending on that. I don't have issue spending on, on, um, on public schools. You know, I believe public schools should be more open to some, to some choice options for parents. But at the same time, being in there for 34 years, I know that transportation has been funded at that 18, 19% of eligible. And fully funding the transportation formula means 75% of, of um, eligible miles to be funded. That takes a lot of money. Gas is $4 a gallon for those buses they get or five dollars a gallon they get yeah. four or five miles a gallon and you know and, and school districts ha have a lot of extra expenses on that so i understand that i just really concerned that we we got to leave some money in the budget in case something happens to this economy mike after you've worked in politics long enough to see when there's a bunch of federal money then there was no money at all from anywhere then there's more federal money uh they're on the highest by the roller coaster but there is these, these things have downturns yeah, look, I, I mean, uh, we all read the news. Uh, all indications are that we're either in a recession right now or, or quickly heading into yeah. one uh, due to some disastrous policies from, from uh, the Biden administration. But uh, look, I think the Republicans in Jeff City have the right approach. Conservatives were sent to Jeff City to be conservative stewards of the budget. And, uh, you know, over the next couple of weeks, they'll finalize what the, you know, what the, what the actual amount and the, the surplus should be. But um, what these representatives have said, uh, 47 billion is a st absolutely staggering amount of money. And uh, it's hard to even comprehend it um, just from a few years ago. But I think the right approach is where these guys' uh, heads are at, that uh, we do need to save some of that for, uh, for future years. All right, uh, Representative Engel, uh, the topic that seemed to come up over and over the last few weeks has been uh, transgender athletes. Right. And I tell you what, let's start off, break down what that actually means to somebody, a gun store owner watching this yeah. in West Plains. Yeah. What does that actually mean to, to have a transgender athlete on a, essentially be, you can, as a girl now, play a boy's sport, but essentially be a transgender athlete playing in a girl's sport. Okay. Um, well, in, in the state of Missouri, if you are under the, 18, under the age of 18 years old, you're not eligible for really any, any kind of transition services or therapy with the exception of a, what's called a puberty blocker, and that you can only take that when you are prepubescent. Um, and in order to, to get to that point, you have to go have a psychological evaluation. 
you have to meet with a therapist. It's a, it's a really, really arduous process. And a, a lot of what they do in, in those meetings is um, with these professionals, with these experts, um, is figure out, you know, how can we meet the needs of this child doing, doing the, the least, doing the least amount of interventions. And so um, oftentimes they're denied puberty blockers until they're a little bit older as well. And so this isn't something that parents or medical professionals are doing willy-nilly. There's a lot of research, there's a lot of science to back this. And um, it's, there's a lot of actual conservative measures that are put in to ensure um, the safety of children um, and to ensure that we're looking out for their best interest. Uh, Reverend Paul, in the day, I mean, you've said, I mean, the world's come a long way since you started in education. Yes, I mean, sir. imagine sitting in this room having to think of this. I, I've watched Republicans, frankly, do things that I thought were homophobic. They were taking advantage of social issues to probably do some things that maybe were politically expedient, but, but questionable, made you feel, looking back, didn't age well. I think there's a, an honest guy. Like Most of the people I know have never met a transgender person. They, they don't really have a good concept of this. And to have a person, a, a biological male, who is transitioning on a girl's team, strikes them as unfair not not because they're a bigot they just think it's unfair you know this absolutely you know this is a very emotional issue yeah and it's emotional for both sides of the issue and um, i believe that both sides are pure in heart and what they believe and um more so this time yeah. than many other. Honestly, where Republicans have been concerned, most of this is long before you came into the legislature. Absolutely. I'm not sure you, in hindsight, you could say Republicans have always been pure in heart with these things. I think there's a rational person that's not a bigot. They could look at this and see an unfairness there. And that's what I mean, pure of heart. You know, we, like I said, we've had some, some very heated debates on the House floor, and, and yeah. people were speaking from what they believe and, and not making it up exactly what they believe. And, you know um, what the what the representative was talking about. I, I personally have an issue with Mish's policy, where they require a, a student to take the um, what I consider to be invasive treatments in order to play at the high school level, and they're asking those students to do that at a, such a young age. And and um, you know I do believe that that a male would have a, a um, unfair advantage. Sure. And, and you know common sense. We're told numerous times that this is maybe ten kids in the state. That this might affect at this time, and, and down the road it may be more than that. But you know, I have to think. I mean, Representative Abner, yes, it, it's six, eight, ten kids now, right? Um, it will be more if you look at the trend nationwide. And I also think Misha. I mean, Misha's put in a terrible spot. This is a tough thing for. It's a tough thing for anybody to deal with. Well, Scott, I agree with you 100%. And you've heard me talk about that. I think this is an equal opportunity issue. So even if someone is going through those treatments. That male body, even at 18 years old, there's larger bone structure, sure. more heart pumping capability. And as a guy who came from a me very meager background, my opportunity to be sitting here today is because of my education. And my ticket to that was through a Division I scholarship. And a lot of your smaller schools, I participated in track and field, those scholarships are determined at the state mate. And so that opportunity, and the bills that uh, we have debated this week, we have, we have debated multiple bills, but the latest one doesn't prevent those individuals from competing. They can compete. It gives the flexibility of the school board. If they want to do male-female sports, they can do that. What we're saying is level the playing field, especially when it comes to the opportunity within education through those scholarships it ought to be a level playing field. Mike Abner, I've seen, since you and I have been around politics, some stuff that didn't age well the Republicans have done. I, 
I think there's, and, I, and honestly, I see, I see pieces of that in this from some folks. But, but to be candid, I think you could make an argument without just being a straight up bigot that this is an unfair thing. And if you have a father of a daughter, as I am, you wouldn't think it was unfair. Uh, it's a valid argument. Uh, as Representative Pollitt said, it's, it's, and you listen to the debate this week, it was very passionate on both sides. Um, I will tell you, uh, in my role in Vicki Hartzler's campaign, we ran an ad on that sure. dealt with this issue. Um, um, highlighting the the fact of uh, Leah Thomas uh, swimming in the NCAA championships, uh, winning one of her races, um, I will tell you that we had parents from other Ivy League universities that contacted us. Uh, even one that said she was a lifelong Democrat, volunteered for liberal causes uh, her whole life, voted Democrat her whole life. Um, with a daughter on one of the other Ivy League teams, and she said that uh, the Democrat that the Democrat Party lost her on this one issue forever. And there's, I think, a, an argument to be made that there are a lot of uh, parents of young girls that, uh, in this particular case, that opportunities may have been taken away from them. Um, and uh, it's a passionate issue on both sides. Um, I think both sides have valid arguments, but it's something that uh, that that. Um, that both sides are are um, finding some fault in. How did you explain to a father that's got a daughter at Tipton High School mm -hmm. playing sports right now, watching this Sunday morning, eating his breakfast, he's drinking his coffee, uh, that does not know anyone that's transgender? Sure. How could you make him feel comfortable about your position on this? So. I mean, I, I think I would probably talk to him the, much the way I, I, I talk to my children about really complex issues like sure. this. So I've got a 10-year-old son and a 5-year-old daughter. And you know, this isn't something that I, I bring to them to talk to them about. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, my, my son is precocious, and he pays attention to what's going on in the news. And he saw when his um, adopted uncle Ian made, made national headlines. Sure. So he was very, really aware Tremendous of that. Tremendous speech so, he gave in the House floor. Exactly. Um, and so he had, he had questions. And, and, I ex and I simply explained that, you know, um, first of all, gender and, and sex are two different things. And that, and, it, and went into detail on that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but talk to him about, it's, it's, really, it's really important that if someone isn't hurting themselves or hurting someone else, that we let them be. Like that's, that's, that's part of one of the great things about America is our freedom to let people exist as they are. If you're not hurting anyone, you're not a danger to yourself or others, let them play. Do you think the time part on this, I've watched um, gay rights probably move faster than any other group's rights. There was a big hubbub about marriage. I don't think the institution of marriage has been affected at all by gay marriage. <laughs> now today you have, uh, do you think that maybe the difference here is folks that don't know anyone that's transgender, they have a, they have a viewpoint from not mm -hmm. having that advantage to know someone? Absolutely. I think that people are often fearful of things that they don't understand sure. that they haven't been exposed to. And so, but I think we always need to err on the side of mercy, compassion, grace, and treat everyone with the dignity and respect that we would want shown to us if sure. we were the ones in that kind of minority oppressed situation. Take a break. We'll be right back. Keep our opinion maker panel around for the second part of the show. But first, go show Missouri.com, history of Missouri, one county at a time. This week we're in Scotland County, Memphis, but not the one you're thinking of up in Scotland County. We'll be right back after this. All across Missouri, our new car and truck dealers are building strong local economies. When you buy a car or truck in Missouri, you're helping to support over 20,000 Missouri families who rely on the auto industry for good-paying local jobs. You're also helping fund our communities, schools, first responders, and our roads because dealers generate millions of dollars in tax revenue. 
Missouri's automobile dealers have been the foundation of our communities for generations and for generations to come. The Missouri Automobile Dealers Association, the heart of Missouri. For more than a century, the St. Louis Carpenters Union has shaped our communities. Through trusted alliances, we deliver skilled professional craftspeople while our business partners provide the kind of quality jobs that keep our economy humming. It's a blueprint that has worked since 1882. Turning Missouri into a right-to-work state stalls progress, wipes out jobs, and kills momentum. Right-to-work is wrong for everyone. Let's keep Missouri moving forward. Visit carpdc.org to learn more. Your energy needs are changing. That's why at Ameren, Missouri, we're not waiting on the future. We're building it with the Smart Energy Plan, advancing thousands of projects across the state, helping reduce emissions through cleaner energy sources, boost reliability with self-healing equipment, and better withstand storms with new composite poles. Moving Missouri forward and bringing us all a little closer together. That's energy at work, Ameren, Missouri. Welcome back to this week in Missouri Politics. Let's talk a little campaigns. Mike Hafner, you are uh, running the Vicki Hartzell for Senate campaign. Give me the rundown on the race. Uh, well, look, it's a three-person race. All polling indicates it. Uh, Vicki Hartzler, Eric Schmidt, and Eric Reitens. Mm -hmm. um, we're 100 days out, less than 100 days out. It feels like we should be in the home stretch, but uh, there's a lot of game left to play. I think Vicki's in the driver's, uh, the, the driver's seat. Uh, her message of faith, family, uh, the American way is, is resonating across the state and the polling shows it. Um, she's an extraordinarily hard worker. It's great to work with her. Corn growers uh, came in. Cattle, big corn right? growers, yep, yep. Big corn growers endorsement. Uh, Missouri Cattlemen Association uh, has endorsed. Um, hopefully, the other ag ag groups come along as well. Feels to me like if you're an undecided voter, she's got probably pole position on getting you. But if you peel off grinds or someone, maybe Schmidt or someone else has a has a better claim to that. If you're an undecided voter, I think you've got to you got to feel good about getting those, right? Sure, absolutely. I mean, was uh, Eric Grimes going to hit another woman to convince you? I mean, what's he going to do? <laughs> uh, you know what we've seen over the last month, uh, especially after the new allegations came out from his ex-wife, is that his his poll numbers have completely cratered and tanked, and uh, we don't know what the floor of, of of that is yet. He's got a whole lot of money um, from you know two billionaires that he's that he's. Uh, airing super PAC attack ads against uh, the other two front runners in the race, and we'll see if, what kind of an impact those are, but we'll be competitive to the end in, the, in this. Representative what do folks down the state fair think? Well, Pettis County is Vicki Hartzler country. Yep. And you know, Vicki, I've known Vicki for a long time, and you know, personal story, we had an incident happen at the school district when I was superintendent, and it wasn't less than an hour where my phone rang is Vicki when she was our representative wow. wanting to know you know what she could do if there's anything she could do and um, you know the it, it's important for for folks you know if I pick up my phone if I leave here today and I and I call her phone she'll she'll answer it and you know that's something you just don't get no, in every right. day you, not, there's not that many legislators can say that about them in this yeah. they might call them back but they they, they pick that up like yeah, that she, she one time sometimes she'll text me and say I'm on the house floor can I call you when we get off that's you know awesome. and, and I'm I'm a nobody so there oh, you have it. Go. You know, there you have it. So she Representative Hafner, tell me, uh, where's the race at in Cass County? So Cass County is all about Vicki Hartzer and what the Her people home, in right? Cass. That's right. Yep. And so what people are looking at is, number one, somebody that understands the military, that understands national mm -hmm. security. The other part, Missouri, is about agriculture. 
the individual, let's face it, that individual that ends up being in the Senate could change the face of Missouri politics for the next decade. They're looking for a military national security leader. They're looking for an agricultural leader. That ag list she put out was incredible. Yes. I mean, yeah, Charlie, you had a ton of Charlie Cruz on down that she had on that. That, I, that was impressive to anybody, I think. All right. Uh, tell me about the other side. Lucas Coons seems to be hitting hard. Mm -hmm. Trudy Bush Valentine, Gussie Bush's daughter, enters the race. Um, if you could just drip a dream scenario for a, obviously hard time for Missouri Democrats, um, but you have a guy that's you know the former first lady says is hitting her and you know he's got a mistress tied up somewhere in a basement. It, you, you contrast that with a nurse, right. mother, Gussie Bush's daughter could fund part of the race. You, you almost think that's too good to be true, right? Right. Well, I, I mean, I think that she's a pretty remarkable person. Although she was born into wealth, um, she's used those opportunities to enrich her communities, whether it's through her philanthropic work, through her work as a nurse. She's a single mom. She was a widow at a relatively early age. And she's given back to her community in such large ways. Um, and it, I've, I've spoken to her personally. She's actually really incredibly down to earth and cares about the kitchen table issues that affect Missourians, whether we're talking about inflation, access to mental health services, national security, the things that really affect Missourians are the things that are at the top of her list of priorities. Like ever, I mean, I think probably you get a Schmidt, you get a Hartzler. I mean, this is really not a competitive state. But you get an Eric Greitens, contrasted with that. Now, I, I still think Republicans, this is my gut, probably wins that, but I mean, it's not a pushover. No, not at all. If, if Eric Greitens is nominated in August, we could very well have a Senator Bush Valentine. Well, I think you could also very well have some other states Republicans could do well in. You have to take that money to spend here. Sure. So even if you don't lose Missouri, it puts you in a harder place in other parts of the country. And Missouri's media markets, I mean, Kansas City, half the media markets in Kansas. St. Louis, a third of it's in Illinois. It's an expensive state to reach folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I, Eric Grines is a damaged candidate. He's unfit to hold office. Um, if we do, uh, if Republicans select him in August, we're in trouble in November. Hey, at least you don't have to talk about values anymore because I don't want to believe you. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about, uh, talking about geography. Let's talk about eminent domain, something that matters to folks. Uh, there was a, a big, I guess you'd call it a, um, the wind in the plains, we were taking the energy and shipping it to Chicago. They got to come through North Missouri to do that, right? That's right. So through that has been uh, some real questions about how the eminent domain process worked here in Missouri. Because it's not like they're building a highway. I mean, this is a, this is a line that's going to make money for the company that does it. A little bit different use than we've seen traditionally on such a large scale. You've been working on some legislation to kind of move past that and talk about the next thing. What should the eminent domain law be for a private company in Missouri? Well, Scott, there's a couple of things here. And what we've seen is there's part of the process with eminent domain is broken. And that's the certificate process that comes through the Public Service Commission. All right, that complaint mm -hmm. process, the checks and balances aren't working. So what we need to ensure for all future products, number one, it doesn't matter. If it's a utility line that's going to be coming through Missouri, we need to ensure that the individuals that have in their land condemned, they're going to be taken from them. They need to be getting fair market value. That is not necessarily happening today, and here's why. And for those in agriculture, I understand this very clearly. They're doing the assessment of the value of agricultural land on a county-by-county -county basis. That productivity value can change significantly over 20 to 30 miles. It is not sufficient to evaluate that on a county-by-county -county basis. We're looking at that. We have a fix now in the bill that's in the Senate to take care of that. But the other part that's very important, part of the process with the certification, the certificates is broken, okay, through the complaint process. 
the first tartan factor, which is the tartan factors are the factors that mm -hmm. determine its value. It's got to be good for the state of Missouri. Right now, less than 10% of the power from that line is going to be benefiting Missourians. And so that's another aspect that the bill that we currently have in the Senate is going to take care of. What do you think? I mean, uh, I do think you're going to take someone's land, probably pay them a premium for it, right? Right. And, you know, I've heard testimony on both sides of this issue for the last four years. Isn't that right, Mike? Yes, it is. Um, and so, and you and I have really kind of been on both sides of this issue together as, as time has gone on. And obviously, I'm, I married into Missouri Century Farmers, and so I, I do care a lot about you know land rights, and it's something that you can never get back once it's taken from you. I think we need to be really cognizant of that, but I think that we also need to be pushing forward as far as, as energy. When we're talking about energy independence, especially from Russia in times like this, we need to be we need to be looking broader. And so um, I think it's we need to do a balance. We need to make sure that they're that they're fairly compensated and that they feel like they're fairly compensated, and do everything that we can to reach that. You won't perk up the ears of an old Pettis County cattle farmers eminent domain right yeah that's right exactly right you know um, I'm rich I'm from Iowa originally and my dad passed away about a year ago but he um, he started with nothing and he accumulated in 60 years um, you know a couple thousand acres of land wow. and, and to think that a company would come in that he had worked so hard for and um, spent you know 18 hours a day working to, to acquire that land and, and to provide for his family that a company could come in and say we're going to take this and this is what we're going to pay you that that's unfathomable to me that we would be that way strikes folks in missouri eminent domain is a hard thing to sell in rural missouri <laughs> uh, there is there's no um greater responsibility um, i think than protecting our constitutional pro private property rights of our farmers and uh there's been a the you know the biggest priority of our ag groups for the last few years yeah. uh, mike's leadership representative hafner's leadership in the house has been uh tremendous on it jason if, bean is in the senate it's if you time don't to get pass it across. this during going to shoot someone right i mean that's true <laughs> give me a real quick prediction you get to get a congressional map out of the legislature to the governor's desk i certainly hope so uh what you think that's going to happen I am not confident. What do you think? I'm not confident. <laughs> not a chance. What do you think? No. Yeah, I kind of don't think so either. When you have the Democrats, the conservative caucus combined with no real reason, I, I don't think it happens. There's, but with a minute left, you won the week. Uh, Dean Plocker, look, there's there's no shortage of folks in the building from uh, both chambers that are coming uh, to him with some, uh, frankly, quite wild ideas. Um, and he's handling it with grace and professionalism, and that bodes well for the future. It's going to be a, uh, when, the, when the whole state gets a look at him next year, they're going to be impressed, I think. I think so. One week. I would say I would say my friend Representative Ian Mackey once again. Whenever whenever the the He's house. Isn't Brian Senate. sides of the show? Now every week he wins. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here's the deal: when when we're not fulfilling our constitutional obligations to complete hmm. congressional maps and to complete a budget in a timely in a timely manner, and we're injecting partisan cultural wedge issues, Ian's going to win every single time. Well, I heard Bob Honor make a similar argument last uh, this week. Who won the week? Uh, Coach Gary Pinkle. Oh, we yeah. had a day or day down at the Capitol, and you know. What coach did for Missouri football? Turned it turns it around. Would to we be in the Missouri, SEC today without Gary Pinkle? No, I don't think so either. Yeah, and he turns the economy around, the money that it brings <laughs> in, and, and, and heightened that expectation for football yes. in Missouri. Who won the week? The guy who won the week is the gentleman right to my right, <laughs> Representative Brad Pollitt. He's taken some very difficult legislation. He's brought both sides mm -hmm. to the table. He's made good legislation, and he's handled the debate very well. I agree. Thank you kind of become the go-to guy if something's challenged. That's quite an honor. Thank you. I'm going to give an honor to Edie Vogel, 
the uh, the sister of former Senator Carl Vogel, finally somebody stood up and told Wilkerson City no. She took him to court, and they're going to put her papers back in. And I say congratulations. I want to get a selfie with the papers before this is over. We'll be right back next week from the state capitol on This Week in Missouri Politics. Support for this program has been provided by the Missouri Automobile Dealers Association, Ameren, Spire, and Sterling Bank.